Hello from all of us at From the Front Row. My name is Steve Sonier, and today I'm joined by Eddie Morrow, one of the Democratic Party candidates running for the office of United States Senator here in Iowa. Eddie, we're going to run through a series of six questions related to the topics of health care, higher education, and public health. You'll have three to four minutes to respond to each question. Our first question is, Iowa, like many Midwestern states, suffers from a serious brain drain problem where individuals graduate from colleges in Iowa and move away. What policies will you put in place to encourage the retention of graduates and attract others to the Midwest? You know, Steve, uh, Steve I saw this um, back in my teaching days. I taught in rural communities, and this wasn't people leaving college at the time. It was people just were anxious to get out of rural communities for the same reasons that they didn't think there was anything there for them um, anymore. And that was concerning to me. They're looking for some vibrancy for some future for um, arts and entertainment. They're looking for a place where they feel like their talents um, uh, can be used, um, uh, where they can um, uh, make a, a decent living and maybe uh, eventually raise a family. And for young people, we need to make sure we're providing that vibrancy for people leaving college. I just have two um, I have twins that just uh, graduated from college a couple years ago, um, and they wrestle with the same thing. What is there here? What's here in Iowa? What should keep us here in Iowa? And that's a real question and a challenge. And, and sometimes we're not listening to young people saying, we, we, we'd like to stay, um, but uh, we'd like, we like to have some things. Give us a reason to stay. Give us a reason not to go to Chicago or go to St. Louis or go to uh, Dallas or, or Los Angeles or New York or Minneapolis where there's more diversity, there's more arts, there's more entertainment, there's more vibrancy, there's there's more excitement for us growing up um, in, in our next chapter of our life. So there's a handful of things I think we need to do. Uh, obviously, we need to provide a, a good and offer good paying jobs um, in, in, a, in a broader a range of fields, um, uh, whether it be in healthcare and education and in, in, in insurance, um, also in technology and engineering, um, that there's so much more we need to be doing. There's some people that might want to stay and start a business. We need to help people stay and stick around and start a business and provide the right kind of um, tools and resources and infrastructure for that to happen. Overall, we need to make sure there's opportunities for recreation and the arts. Again, that uh, people think that there's something to stick around for so if they want to come and work, but then after work, there's somewhere to go where they feel like, um, it, again, it's vibrant is where I keep using, but, but, but there's some excitement in, in our life and they feel like they can expand culturally, um, uh, uh, going to plays, going to concerts, um, uh, finding other opportunities. I think we need to talk about and deal with, in this state in particular, Steve, um, uh, race and diversity um, in, in a real meaningful way. And it's one of the things that makes me one the strongest candidate in, in this race. Um, I built the broadest coalition um, in the African-American community, the Asian community, um, uh, in the Latino community, the LGBTQ community. We want to make sure this is a welcoming state. And some people don't feel like they're welcome uh, uh, to be here. Some of that's part of our policy. Some of that's part of our leadership um, and how we treat each other. Um, and we want to make sure that everybody knows that, that, that this is a state where we all want to grow together, um, regardless of, of the stripes that, that we wear. So there's a lot of things we need to be doing. And, and I hope that's a, kind, of, kind of a starting point. I think Iowa should want to stay here. We, we should be aiming to make that happen. And uh, we need to start realizing that islands aren't going to stay here unless we make those efforts. The rise in coronavirus outbreaks in long-term care facilities emphasizes that there are significant issues with how we provide care and protect older Americans. What measures will you take to address immediate concerns with infection control 
and what else might you consider important to address in regards to long-term care facilities? Thanks for asking. So if, if uh, um, those listening will go to eddiemorrow.com, you'll see we had a conversation with a couple of experts in long-term care just a few days ago. So uh, uh, immediate action, well, we need to make sure we're protecting all the workers and the residents. That should be immediate. Uh, making sure all the workers have uh, proper protective equipment. They need to have shields even. They should have gloves and be trained properly on how to use that equipment um, uh, so that they're not infecting themselves, family members, loved ones, or um, uh, those that are residing in, in these facilities. Then we need testing. We need testing and we need testing. And we need tracing, and we need tracing, and we need tracing. And we need transparency, Steve, and more transparency, and more transparency. We're lacking all those things right now um, in the state of Iowa and across the country, no matter what we hear. Um, at the federal level and the state level, we're underperforming miserably here in those areas. Those are the immediate things that we need to be doing uh, to make sure we're protecting. Then we need to work with health healthcare professionals on the best practices on how to treat patients that have contracted um, COVID. Um, we now have a, a, a enough data out there that we're seeing what's been successful, what hasn't been successful. How do we keep people off ventilators, especially older people? My parents are 85 and 89. Uh, my mom was on a ventilator a couple of years ago for a heart uh, procedure, and, and you know how um, difficult that is, and we don't want to put people at that age on ventilators for a very long time. The outcomes aren't very good. But we have seen people that are older that have contracted COVID and have persevered, and hopefully um, uh, uh, again, at places like the University of Iowa and others, um, they're teaching universities and research universities are finding what's been working well. We're, we're sharing that information across the globe um, uh, to help others um, so we can meet the needs. That's an immediate thing that we need to do. And I guess the last immediate thing is we need to make sure we're, we're working with rural hospitals and health centers to make sure they're equipped for any sudden outbreaks. Um, and we're, we're way short. And I think we'll talk about the rural Iowa here. Um, down the road. More long-term, we got to set higher standards on the level of care we provide in long-term care facilities. It's become a profit business, and uh, I believe in, in, in making profits. I, I, I run a small business, employ nearly 70 people across the country um, that deals in catastrophes like these, but we also want to make sure we're adding value um, that we're treating our, uh, our employees well and we're treating our customers, which are the long-term care patients, um, in a fair and just manner. And let's be clear, there's a lot of long-term care facilities um, that do a good job. There's enough of them that don't. And we don't have right now the, uh, enough oversight of what we're doing. So we need to have enough independent inspectors to ensure that the care is being delivered. Um, that's a must. And that's at the state and federal level that we have the ombudsman at the state level that we're providing the right type of OSHA care, that we're also looking at the right kind of federal care. And it needs to be consistent. Um, and we need to follow up. And we owe that to the people that have blazed a path for us, Steve, the people that allowed you to go to college that allowed me to go to college to build this world. Um, we are so under um, appreciative of them and demonstrated our underappreciation by how we treat them in these facilities. So we needed to work in the industry to make it more value added than profit added. And we need to pay workers. Um, without a doubt, we have a lot of folks working, especially again in rural communities, um, $10, $11 an hour. Um, they can actually make more at Dollar General. That's where they're going. Um, so then the, the quality of care we're getting is, is not sufficient. So I'm, I'm interested in the federal level for long-term care and some other um, uh, uh, daycare and, and others, um, some sub subsidized um, uh, uh, pay to help those facilities 
get people to $15, $17, $20 an hour. We can attract better workers. We can work on training those workers, uh, bringing workers out that are um, also encouraged to get higher levels of education and certifications so we can provide this care um, because it's not easy work. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, if you deal with a, an older relative, then you know that can be, that can be taxing just to deal with an older uh, mom or dad um, or, or a grandparent. Um, it needs a lot of patience. And to put somebody out there to do that with 10 people or 15 and do that for eight hours a day or 10 hours a day can be difficult. And uh, without the right training, the right compensation, the right incentives to appreciate that, um, then we're going to continue to underperform. So investments and training, that'll help on the long-term care side. Public health funding represents only 2.5% of the roughly $3.5 trillion spent on health care. Years of budget cuts from 2008 to 2017 have led to the elimination of 55,000 positions in local public health departments. This has left our nation underfunded and unprepared to address public health emergencies like the one we're experiencing now. How will you help support our public health infrastructure to handle future emergencies and other public health issues? Um, it's not about what I will do. It's going to start with the people out there that are voting. We need to go elect people that care. We need to let people that care about uh, uh, real people today. And, and, and that's where it starts. And, and, and I think then we need to find out who, who are the, the people that are running that do care, that demonstrate they care. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk a lot about my background, but I spent a lot of time in, in, in rural communities growing up. Um, was a teacher and a coach, got involved in community service and organizing activism work and a fight for um, uh, people that have been left behind uh, for far too long. And what have we done in the, in the political world? The reason I'm crossing this road from, from that private work into public life and public service is because of, of, of what we've done for um, folks that have been left behind. Uh, rural communities in particular, people of color, poor or white people. Part of your question, yes, we, we're, we're greatly unprepared and we'll continue to be unprepared until we decide we want to make the right kind of public health investments. Until we have the right kind of honesty and transparency uh, that, that, that'll, that'll be straight with people, let them know why we're underperforming and not blaming everybody else until we actually show the empathy and, and compassion for people in a meaningful way. Um, and that's kind of the uh, differencing uh, philosophies, in my opinion, between the, the two parties. Uh, one party is interested in the, in the golden calf and, and one's interested in the golden rule. Um, and once we start taking care of people more than, and I'll tell you the rate of return, because I've demonstrated it running a business, the rate of return when we care about people is actually greater. And we try to only have profit uh, models and profit uh, mechanisms only in mind. So our current administration doesn't care about any of that. They only care about the economic numbers. It shows every day. That's all that he cares about. That's why we're opening up the country way earlier than we should, even though all the scientists tell us not to do that. So the real score, though, Steve, should be the quality of life of all Americans. Um, there's 25% of Americans that do really, really well. They'll always do really, really well. Um, because they have all the money and all the power. There's 25% of Americans that do pretty well um, because they have enough to get by. Half of our country's left behind. Um, and, and they'll continue to be left behind because they don't have much of a voice, but they need to vote. Um, they need to go vote for people that care. Um, and if we do that, then we can, sh we can shore up the, the, the shortages that we have in public health. Um, because we need, in order to do that, we need to make public investments. And, and we need to make sure we're working on ways that we have rural hospitals, we have mental health facilities and rural communities and urban centers. So we'll reduce the minority impact, we'll reduce the rural uh, impact uh, that we currently see today. And, and, and that's why 2020 is such a critical time. That's why this primary alone in June 2nd is so critical. Let's elect somebody that's gonna go make sure that we're gonna 
bring the urgency and the, the compassion and the courage that's needed today to address the, the, this kind of issue and all the issues we've been talking about so far. Rural families are increasingly threatened by closures of labor and delivery units in their communities. As a U.S. Senator, what will you do to improve access to maternal care services? Everything in rural communities has been diminished um, over, over the past uh, couple of decades. Um, and we, we continue to see a, degrade, a degradation of, of rural communities. Uh, hospitals care for um, uh, expectant mothers, even prenatal care. Um, schools and on and on. Mind you, I grew, I grew up spending a lot of time uh, in my grandmother's in Carroll, Iowa, my aunt uncle's farm nearby there. Um, my father taught in Thompson, Iowa, in Colfax, Iowa, in Sadell, Iowa, and, and I, I lived in, in many rural communities and taught in many rural communities as well, and I, and I saw firsthand um, what, what's going on there. Um, if you go look at our website at eddiemorrow.com, you'll see we have a very solid rural and farm vision um, that includes public health initiatives, public dollars at the state and federal level, to keep rural hospitals open and funded and staffed. We've moved quite a ways, especially in this state, um, away from publicly funded um, healthcare uh, uh, mechanisms. Um, everything is pretty much privately handled today. We got Unity Point and, and, and the Mercy uh, Systems, and they do great work, um, but when it doesn't make sense for them financially, then, then they have to close. We see that with um, uh, urgent care centers and, and, and other centers, and that's what's happening in a lot of our rural communities. So then it's up for government to step in. And that, that's a time where we need to do that. So we need to have investments in rural communities. I want to go make sure that we have a public health policy, public health legislation, public health funding um, that provides prenatal care. We can talk about that part. I know maternity care, so somebody can have a child, you know, within a reasonable distance from where they live. They don't have to, have to drive 80 miles or 120 miles um, for that. And we talk about long-term care as well, but we need to make sure we're able to provide that. And I'll continue to talk about um, mental health because that's also lacking. Some of the things we also need to be able to talk about, um, uh, student loan debt forgiveness, to encourage healthcare professionals uh, to work in rural communities because it's not enough just to have a building there. We gotta have professionals that wanna be there. We gotta have strong rural schools. We gotta have, we have to have connections to other communities. So people, that's your very first question, why does somebody wanna go to a rural community? Why would somebody wanna stay in Iowa? We gotta give people reasons to go do that, to go raise their family, um, or at least to make that the first leg uh, of their career, something I did. Um, my first leg of my career as a teacher was to go to a rural community um, and teach and, and, and bring you know, a different perspective into those communities. There'll be a lot of healthcare professionals who we like to do that. And then the last thing I'll say really quick, we need to make sure that we are, are finding more and more healthcare professionals overall. I'm very, very concerned about the future of healthcare, um, not just because of the cost, which is real, because we don't have the infrastructure and we don't have the pipeline that's necessary, in my opinion, um, to make sure we're, we're going to have a number of people necessary to provide the care, whether it's prenatal for maternal care, long-term care, mental health care, and all the other care that we're going to need. As the pandemic continues, schools are shifting to online methods to provide education. Iowa is currently ranked 45th in state broadband access, and many other states have similar connectivity issues. What actions will you take to ensure students and others remain connected? Yeah, thanks for asking. And this is what we're doing here today is telling how good the digital era is, is moving us and where we've been going. You know, before COVID, we visited 92 counties in person and been visiting with people in, in dining centers and American legions and churches and other places. And since then, we've done over 100 virtual uh, conversations and had some on healthcare. So again, I encourage people to go to our website um, and look at some of our, our previous videos and come join us. 
uh, so some of those conversations. To your point, COVID has demonstrated lots of shortcomings in our society and, and in communities. And one of them is the lack of connectivity uh, in rural communities in particular, and then the lack of access in urban centers because of economic inequities that we've had for far too long. Um, and that impacts farmers and small business owners in rural communities and impacts families and it impacts education. So there's a lot of rural communities that have not been able to do the same that our suburban uh, brothers and sisters and siblings have been able to do because they don't have access. They don't have the connectivity um, to continue on with their education. Um, and that's very critical. As a former teacher, I knew what it was like uh, to, to be teaching and teaching all of a sudden have a break just for 10 days for, for, for the holiday and come back. Um, and, and the lack activity is really harmful for the overall education and future of, of uh, our young people in rural centers. Um, so the easy answer is we have, we've been talking about broadband access for many years, and, and, and we need a real infrastructure bill in 2021. One of the first things that I'll do, because it's going to be something we're going to be needing uh, when, we when we tackle the, the financial hardships facing Iowans and facing Americans anyway, um, getting people back to work. We need to have massive infrastructure. We said we're like 45th or 46th in broadband. We're 50th in bridges. We're just horrible. Um, uh, but that's going to be part of what we need to be doing. It's going to be part of our green energy investments as well, um, which all brings some vitality to rural communities. Um, but we need to make sure we're making those investments at the state, federal, and even the private level to make broadband a utility, Steve. It shouldn't be something that right now, if you're in a rural community, if you're wealthier, you can pay a lot of money to get some piping run to your house or to your business, but it's very, very expensive. Uh, but every, every day, um, rural uh, um, uh, citizens can't do that. Every day, people in rural communities can't do that. Um, it just doesn't work very well. I do a lot of work in Tanzania, um, install water systems there, um, and everything in that area is wireless and good connectivity. Um, you can you can engage with people. I did one of our podcasts, you know, one of our virtual town halls the other day with a gentleman from there. Um, it's capable to do that. We got to go invest more both in wireless and, 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 and wire connectivity to make sure people have that. Uh, very, very important uh, that we do it. For our final question today, due to COVID-19, we've seen a tremendous growth in the use of telemedicine, where providers can consult with patients through audio-only and audio-video technology. How, as a U.S. Senator, will you support the continued use of telemedicine in a cost-effective way? Yeah, first of all, kudos to the healthcare industry uh, and many other industries that have adapted, that have been innovative and in, in connecting with uh, uh, patients and customers and more during uh, an unprecedented time. And this ties to our earlier conversation. We need to make sure that connectivity is a reality for every island. And it would be better, uh, again, to have the utility of broadband um, or wireless connectivity. Um, it's one thing to have a conversation um, with your healthcare professional on the phone. It's another to be able to look at your patient um, and be able to see them on a screen. Um, and, not, and we know, again, my parents are 85 and, and 89. They're going to have a hard, hard time picking up their phone and making that connectivity. We're going to have to do some training and help and walk people through till they get they're comfortable with that. But we need to continue to look for ways um, that we can make that connection. And maybe it's going to be through a satellite type of a, a service right through our television where we can have that, that connection. We have it, all the technological capabilities of doing that. We, again, we've got to go make some investments to make that happen. We're going to ask the healthcare industry to be part of that. We might make sure we're working, um, uh, again, from a, a legislative level and a regulatory level to talk about allowing that to happen for a long time. Um, the healthcare industry wasn't a big fan because it actually um, might be less money for um, coming in for doctors that are making those connections. And, and other industries have also um, uh, uh, seemed to put up a roadblock to that. What I think we need to also be talking about, Steve, is, is what is the real 
um, business model of, of delivering medicine today. We need to talk about that. I don't think it should be how many patients you see in a day. I don't think it should be how many pills you sell. I think it should be what kind of value to do to make people healthier. Uh, we need to figure out how do we make that happen. Um, and, and that will be helpful in really delivering care and reducing costs both, allowing uh, healthcare professionals to make the livings that they, 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 they deserve and do deserve, um, very, very important for us. So it's a kind of a, a comprehensive uh, answer to your question, but we should not replace the need for physical and, and, and rural facilities though in hospitals just by this. I want to make sure I, I mention that. Um, and I can see that happening, but we're still not going to go then invest in rural infrastructure or, or, or getting people to go work in rural mental health facilities and taking care of long-term facilities just because of, of the connectivity. Um, but we want to definitely use it um, and use it uh, uh, well, similar to what we're doing now. This was our full interview with Eddie Morrow. Please be sure to tune in to future episodes of From the Front Row to hear more about issues in the field of public health. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu, and our episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Stay safe and stay healthy out there.